Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your Wednesday, August 10th edition, or maybe it's Thursday or Friday. Uh, today, when we're recording this show, uh, it's the first off day for the Oregon football program. So uh, they have had five football practices. None of them have been in shells. Uh, they are expected to return on Thursday in sh- and full-on pads, uh, and it's going to be contact. There's going to be, um, I guess, Kenny Dillingham and def- who's the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator, Tosh Lupoy, have both kind of downplayed the results the first couple of days because it's not real football yet. Um, I think Tosh Lupoy called it football and underwear, and uh, Dillingham said they played a lot of seven-on-seven. But nonetheless, uh, there has been some interesting news. Um, and we're going to start right off with injuries because there's a couple projected starters not practicing or not full go yet right now. I think Tosh, by the way, just to clarify the line, cause it was funny. It was underwear Olympics, yes. which, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I, I never heard the term, but kind of appreciated, I guess the, I don't know if I appreciate the visual, but appreciated the, the linguistics of it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, there are some injuries and unfortunately it's all, it seems like this happens every year. It's just like one position group gets hit. Like the entire team is healthy except for the offensive line right now. Basically, there's one defensive lineman also not not attending practice. But pretty notable that the last two practices media has attended, Big Sala, Malasala Amavelalu, the starting right tackle last year, has not been present. We should know we weren't at Sunday's practice, so it's possible he's missed three in a row. Um, but we've only, we, we've only missed – or he's only missed the two practices that we've most recently been at. Um, TJ Bass was dinged up, I think, on the – well, Subcon coming in because he was – no, run my man on that, Jared. Was he, was, he, was he fully dressed? Was he like fully participating on Friday? I can't recall. It's been a long week. No. Okay. I don't, he, think, he's, I don't think he's fully participating I, I, I think in he, practice yet. He and Justice Lowe both were the ones that started, I think, fall not taking yeah. part is my recollection. I just want to clarify. Mm-hmm. But Bass is still pretty limited. He's definitely not taking part in the the drills that are quote unquote competition periods when we watch. Like they were doing some gang blocking, two on one blocking, offensive line versus a defensive lineman. Bass was not a part of that. Um, and so that's your left tackle from last year and your right tackle from last year not starting or not should say not practicing. And Bass seems like in the spring was working more at guard. But somebody certainly who would contribute a tackle if they need it. And the other issue is that you've got two other young offensive tackles, Feope Lalu and Michael Wooten, who are also hurt. So that's four right there out of a group of about 15. Cannon Rossi, who's a walk-on. We actually haven't heard anything on this, but he's notable because in the spring he was their backup center. He -hmm. has not been at practice the last three days or four days potentially, probably four days because we haven't seen him since the first day on Friday. Um, So that's like five – Guys probably in your top 12, 13 offensive linemen who aren't available right now. Um, and then there's one other player, defensive lineman, Michaela Fisi, um, also has not been at practice. 
We did get some clarification from Lanning, who doesn't want to talk injuries, who has said that both Justice Lowe, TJ Bass, not serious injuries, and that makes sense because they've both been partial participants the last couple of days. But he did also say that Sala has missed practice, but he's a minor ding, and they expect him back soon. He didn't say, by the way, I, I read through this again last night because I wrote back at practice soon. He said back soon. That could also mean just back attending. That doesn't necessarily mean taking part. Right. But back soon, and then uh, uh, FAAC, it sounds like, could be longer longer term was the word that Landon used. So we've only been in that practice for about five days and the offensive line has been hit. I'm not overly concerned yet because it doesn't seem that injuries to the key guys are serious, serious, but you know, it's a position group that's worth monitoring now. And it's, it's certainly created some opportunities for younger guys as well. I don't have too many other injury notes just to put in there. Obviously the offensive linemen are more significant. Um, Kamari Terrell was somebody who, might have been limited, but we didn't exactly see. Um, and then uh, Darren Barkins has something on his left wrist, some type of wrap, some type of not not a full on cast or anything like that, but some type of wrap on his left wrist, um, which has limited limited him in kickoff return drills and catching the football. Um, other than that, he's been a, a full participant in, in tackling drills. So there's something there. I'm not sure. <laughs> what the logic is behind a full participant in a tackling drill, but can't catch a football. But um, that's what he's been up to in terms of injuries on the defensive side. And obviously, Mikhail Afa, you see, um, he's, he's somebody who we haven't seen since the first day of fall camp, I want to say it was. Um, second, he's been in, I think. Second day. I think he's he's been he, in the, he and Sala disappeared at the same time. Yeah. So, yeah, those those guys are in the same boat. Um, but like, like Eric said, like Lanning said, um, that he's dinged up a little bit more and it's going to be a longer timeout than, than Sala is. So um, all in all, yeah, just again, like Eric mentioned, just one group is getting hit more than any, anything else on the field, just like last year. Now, I guess if you want to look at this from a half glass full perspective, um, it doesn't sound like uh, Big Sala or – TJ Bass should be out long term, at least right now. I mean, there's no really indication that, that that's on the table. Um, and so you're looking at two starters who you would think, in theory, based off of what Dan Lanning has said, should be back in time for Georgia. But in the short term, um, it's allowed some of the younger offensive linemen to get a lot of reps. And that's something that Lanning kind of touched on after Tuesday late afternoon, early evening. Boy, that was a late practice uh, for us media standing outside waiting. Uh, but hey, we're not, they're not here to please us. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was, Lanning did touch on just the significance that the younger guys are getting and the importance uh, of those reps that the young guys have now had. I've got a quote here touching on exactly what Matt's talking about. I'll just read it for you for further context. You love to you love to say take five guys and keep them in a spot and gain continuity, and there's truth to that. But the reality is that you want to make sure you're working those guys at multiple spots, and I think that's what this has created. It's created an urgency for us coaches to try guys in different locations to improve our ability to be adaptive, and that's certainly what we've seen. And again, you know, media has been just, I guess, a little bit less that we've seen in the in the fall than the spring is what i would say we haven't seen any competition periods um, that might change when they put pads on on thursday we do get to watch thursday's practice we won't be out at friday or saturday's practice and then take 
Sunday and Monday, I don't know if they take both days off, but there's no media availability. So we're, we're not going to be able to watch practice for about four to five days at least. Um, but maybe Thursday we'll see some more on the first day fully padded. I'm probably being a little optimistic there. Um, but what we've seen when we've been out there uh, it has been a rotation with younger guys. And I think Josh Connerly in particular seems to be elevated basically to the first unit. Um, you know, And again, I, I'm pro- I might be out of line here in terms of how I'm deducing this, but the last two days they've, they've put out a first unit and they've gone against defensive linemen. And Connerly has been the first left tackle out there. Um, and it makes sense because they're really the only other candidate for that. If you don't have Bass and you don't have Wooten and you don't have uh, uh, Big Ope uh, and you don't have Sala, I mean, that's four guys that would be potentially in that competition. The only other real candidate would be like a Bram Walden or a Stephen Jones. And Jones has been working at guard. Um, so it makes sense he's been there. But, you know, I think Connolly is a guy who. Landing also tossed some praise to yesterday. He said that mm-hmm. he had a really good competition rep. Would love to have seen it. Can't really report more on yeah. it. We didn't see it. But it sounds like he had, he's had some nice moments, which is what you'd expect. But um, we talked about coming into fall, you know, kind of what do you expect out of Josh Connerly? And I think we were all pretty careful about, like, you know, he's not going to have a lot of opportunity just because they've got all these returners back. Well, now he's getting that opportunity. And I'm not going to say he's going to unseat a starter or that he's for sure starting or anything. I, I think I still think it's probably unlikely he starts. But if he makes the most of whatever this extended period is, working with the top group or, or as one of the premier tackles on the team, he could end up being a starter by the end of camp. Like I'm not going to. I probably say I, I, there's an uptick in my my perspective of like the probability of him being a starter this season, just based upon how injuries have come down. And again, we don't know the severity. I'm just saying this is a guy who we thought was going to get all second team reps. Now he's getting some first team reps. And the rest of the offensive line's also been interesting because without Big Sala, we've had Dawson Jaramillo as the, as the top right tackle from on the days I've watched. We've had, by the way, Marcus Harper's been the top right uh, left guard, I should say. And Ryan Walk's been the top right guard. Obviously, Alex Forsyth at center. Kind of interesting stuff moving around there. But it also makes sense because um, – you know, Bass had been the left guard. Harper was his backup. So people yep. maybe sitting here trying to read into like, well, oh, gosh, is he unseated? Stephen Jones, by the way, not being in that rotation as a top five, at least when we've watched, kind of interesting. He's been working at guard as well um, as on the right side. So a lot of moving chairs right now. But certainly if you know, when we, we opened camp and we had the five projected starters and where they were seated, like only two guys are currently in the spots that we thought they'd be. And that was Forsyth and Walk, who are your two of your most experienced, kind of most reliable guys. Everything else is in flux. And that makes it kind of interesting, I'm sure, for the staff. Oh, I think it's super interesting. Uh, just to just to touch on Connerly for a second. Um, this is a situation where, yeah, all of us pre-fall camp and, and even pre-spring or not, well, he wasn't here in the spring, so that doesn't help. But pre-fall he was, camp. He wasn't committed in the yeah, spring. <laughs> he wasn't committed in the spring. I forgot. Um, but pre-fall camp, we all were very uh, sensitive about it. And, you know, unless he was just this unbelievable player, I didn't think he would have this opportunity to really get first-team reps other than when the coaches wanted to see him take first-team reps. But um, with injuries and just how things have fallen for him, he's having the real opportunity to showcase – if he can do it, if he could potentially start, if he could potentially get in a get actual game reps going against, you know, Oregon's best defensive line guys. Um, and it seems like, you know, usually from Dan Lanning, there isn't a lot of praise when a player does something well. And 
he's getting some good praise from Dan. Um, he's you know the highlight of the competition rep. Um, Kenny Dillingham just said that he's a really big athletic guy. So I, I, I guess that's as good as it's going to get from Dillingham. But um, just from what the coaches have said, it seems like he's he's somebody who is piquing their interest, and he's somebody who I didn't really anticipate would pique anybody's interest, not because he's not a talented prospect or anything like that, but I just didn't think he would get the necessary reps to showcase what he could possibly do as a first-team guy. But with injuries, yeah, I guess he gets that opportunity to do so nowadays. Um, it's like a it's like a catch twenty two. It's like yeah, this could be really awesome that this five star offensive lineman is going to be you know like the cornerstone of the offensive line in the next couple of years, and this is his first fall camp where he really gets to show it. But that requires C.J. Bass and Fayope and Sala and all these other guys to be injured. Right for him to get an opportunity to do so. And yeah, you'd love if he would just win a natural competition, but there's so much to learn of being a left tackle that three or four or five years of experience that the guys in front of him have is just such a massive difference. And obviously, you know, we, we've talked about the Panay Sewell comparisons, but you know, Panay was a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. You know, that guy was just naturally unbelievable. It's the same thing with Kayvon Thibodeau where, they had to let him go at one point. They had to let him start. They had to let him play as many reps as they could get him in there. But maybe Josh Connerly is like that. We've heard Tosh Lupoy and uh, Dan Lanning talk about, we want to get the best 11 guys on the field as possible, On uh, specifically about defense. We haven't necessarily heard it a lot about offense and positional versatility there. Maybe that's maybe that becomes a case where he's too good and they have to let him go and they have to let him play, but a lot of Josh Connerly talk for you know <laughs> just two or three practices where he's not, he's he's lucky to even, have first team reps and not, not even, even in pads yeah, yeah. exactly and not exactly. so let let me throw that disclaimer at the end not in pads yet and I think as long as T J Bass and Big Sala are back for fall camp or for second half of fall camp and they get the ample time needed to prepare for Georgia. You don't want to wish injuries on, on players, but this kind of presents a scenario where you can get the best of both worlds early on in camp. You really get a good look at Connerly to see if he's in the mix while at the same time, some of your veteran guys are relatively staying fresh and still have the ample time to get ready for Georgia. And then you get an opportunity to where maybe you can mix and match with Connerly and with that veteran group before, before games start playing and, and gives you an idea of, Hey, like we know for a fact, Connerly is going to be able to help us against Georgia. If you're a coach, if you're the coaching staff at Oregon, or maybe it's the opposite. Hey, like we thought he'd be ready to go, but you know, he's not there yet. And I, I, I think this is – if you want to find a positive out of these two guys not being full go yet, this is it. You're, you're getting a really good look at Connerly and, and also Dave Uli and Kawika Rogers, who mm-hmm. – Rogers especially is another guy that, that – I don't know if he's certainly generated a ton of buzz in the first five days of fall camp, but during the summer was someone that was mentioned as, well. Wow, that's a guy that might have a chance to, to make an impact. And just a couple of thoughts here to wrap up offensive line talk. One, I'm kind of going like, 
and this is the weird thing is a we, again we're not seeing competition period so we, i might what i'm saying is the quote unquote top offensive line might not be but because bass hasn't been able to take part in any of these things and saw i'm trying to figure out who which one like is is bass working at left tackle again because Saul is not their left tackle. We thought Jones might be their left tackle because that was kind of what they were doing in the spring. But Jones is not working at right guard. So I guess I'm just confused on, like, if if everybody's healthy, who's the left tackle? Could it be that if everyone health, is healthy, Connolly's still the left tackle? It, it possibly could. Um, and then just one other thought here. Um, you mentioned a couple of the other new guys. They were, Again, they were doing this game-blocking drill, and only – two tackles were taking part because it was like you had a left tackle with a left guard. You had a left guard with a center. You had a center with a right guard and you had a right guard with a right tackle. That's what they're doing. So there's eight bodies up there. Um, but I did find it notable that Ayuli was one of the guys also up there at guard. So in that top group, there's eight players. So he's quote unquote kind of in the competition in that group of note right now among off, uh, offensive linemen. I think Rodgers would 100%. Rodgers is probably their second left tackle, I would guess, right now. But they didn't show that because it was just game blo- gang blocking. I don't know who else it would be because of all the injuries. Um, I mean, Bram Walden's been historically a right tackle, and, I, and that's where I looked like he was lined up after. So um, I just didn't see the left tackle. It's just there's not a lot of other options if you take Wooten out and you take <laughs> and yeah, you take Feofe out and you take out Bass. and you take. I mean, it's you're, you're running through – and it might, and I mean, we, we, Jared, we talked about this in the car, though. You look at the roster, because we were trying to figure out this left tackle thing. There's yeah. not a lot of, a like, lot of, prototypical lot of guard body types. Yeah, it's a lot of guard body types. It's not a ton of ta- offensive tackle or left tackle in particular. Like, it's, it feels like a lot of guards and right tackle body types, with the exception of Connerly, Rodgers, and, like, Stephen Jones maybe has a left tackle body type, but I think we both probably feel like he's maybe not quite the advanced athlete you'd you'd like and that might be a little bit harsh but that that's kind of our perception on on that spot i I think it's i just think it's notable that like left tackle i even with everyone healthy i'm kind of curious to see what it it comes down to i think it's harsh on jones but i also think it's evident on where the past well maybe this staff but definitely the previous staff has played him um you know he's floated around he hasn't just stuck at left tackle um you know the huge hole when panay leaves and then you feel like you have the guy who played left tackle in his freshman year when Panay Sewell got hurt and Steven Jones. And then he floats around. It doesn't really stick at left tackle. It doesn't really stick anywhere and clearly has yet to stick on this staff because he's playing right guard, even though I think he has the best left tackle frame on anybody on the team except for Josh Connerly. Um, it's a weird one. I mean, I guess you could – play Jones at right tackle and maybe Dawson Jaramillo at left tackle or flip-flop or something like that. But I, I mean, that's, yeah, not a lot of left tackle options. I guess Kawika Rogers is probably that backup guy now that you mentioned it. Um, Just right now. I'm saying right now. Yeah, I yeah, 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 I'm not course. saying in the season he's going to be like a second. No, no, no. But yeah, I agree. I've just, I've, I've, it was interesting when we th- talked about that in the car because I hadn't really thought of that perspective. But it, it's kind of true. It's a lot of like guys who could potentially play tackle but weren't like born to play tackle, like Josh Connerly is. It's like that's the only that if he's going to play offensive line, he's going to be a tackle. Um, regardless, the the depth is still there, and as soon as as uh, T.J. Bass and company come back healthy, um, 
I'm, I'm interested at that point to see where Connerly is because maybe he is just the, the first team left tackle just like this, but maybe he's not. And so I think that's the most interesting part. And another disclaimer, caveat, uh, full pads. Got to see him. Need those full pads. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll dive into some things that have stood out to us through the first five days of fall camp. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, welcome back to the Autzen Audible's podcast. Uh, talking Oregon Duck football, five practices in. We've been able to either interview or attend four of those five. Um, there was one practice that was not open to the media, and there was no media availability following practice. We've spoken with Dan Lanning twice, once uh, after the first practice, once uh, after the fifth practice, or second time after the fifth practice. We also spoke to Dan on media day, which was a couple of days before fall camp opened up. We've spoken with Tosh Lupoy, Oregon's defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, Kenny Dillingham, um, and an assortment of players, offense and defense. Um, some interesting stories we've learned. Uh, guys, I'll start first. Um, Dan has been it, – it's, it's pretty hard to get Dan to throw out some kudos to players. Um, but I thought it was interesting how I think Eric, you maybe have asked the question about the physicality and the young guys that were performing well, um, in camp or what stood out. And he talked about how, you know, physicality is something that just naturally comes with it. And playing fast, uh, is something that with the younger guys, you see who's doing their homework, who's performing well and, you know, in practice because they're prepared and the importance of if you know what you're doing, you can play fast. And he, he singled out Kamari Terrell as one of those young guys, one of those freshmen that is performing well. Um, and he looks like he knows what he's doing. And because of that, he's able to play fast. And then on top of that, speaking of fast, he's been considered one of the fastest players, if not the fastest player on the team. And so I, I just think that's a deadly combination. And that's how, as a freshman, you play when you have a, tr a physical attribute that very few players on the roster can replicate, which is his speed. And then it sounds like early on, he knows what he's doing. And so if he knows what he's doing and he's not having to think and he can just process, he's able to use his God given skills 
to his best of his ability. And his speed is something that could be unmatched at Oregon. So I look, we haven't seen practice a ton, but just putting those two things together and knowing in past years what that contributes to guys getting on the field early early. Kamari Terrell might be one of my guys that he he might be a special teams guy for Oregon because his speed and he knows what he's doing. Well, I remember talking to Gabe Brooks about Terrell because he's a Texas guy, and Brooks was saying athletically he is pretty freaky. The issue has been technique, and so I don't know if film study, which is what, what Dan was talking about, necessarily translates specifically to technique, but if he is figuring some of the other non-athletic intangible parts out, that's pretty. That's a pretty positive thing for, for Oregon and for, and for Terrell in particular. I'm with you on him. I'm, I'm, I've, you know, he's the least – the least the lowest rated recruit of the three uh corners that came in below the two Jaleels out of san diego um but he certainly has the athletic skills to be really really good and um i am again we have seen so little like frankly i'll be honest i don't think i've seen him do a rep of anything because i always watch the offensive stuff so i couldn't really tell you anything of what's going on i don't think jared could tell you much of any reps he's done besides maybe some like special teams coverage no. stuff yeah so we're not. We don't have a whole lot of insight into what Dan is seeing, but it's certainly notable. I agree with Matt. Dan has been pretty careful to to kind of um, praise players, especially when he's not asked. I mean, if you ask him about, you know, Taimani, he'll give you some Taimani stuff. He'll probably also give a caveat or a thing he needs to work on. That's kind of his working approach. But if you ask a question, by the way, I'll give Zach Neal of, of Ducks Digest or of uh, Ducks Wire the credit for asking that question okay. on physicality because it was not me. But uh, if you ask him a question about a thing and he then follows up by naming a player, I'm with Matt. I think that says something, you know, mm -hmm. and because he doesn't have to give information. And he's somebody who if he doesn't have to give information and it's his choice. He won't. Um, I think it's pretty notable. So I'm with you, Matt, on that one. I think for me, the thing that stood out and it's probably not a humongous surprise to me. And again, it's been really limited what we can watch. But it's just the defensive line. I think they're going to be really freaking good, man. I think I'm 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 oh, yeah. pretty, I'm pretty enthusiastic about it because we came into camp really liking the guys that were returners. We had heard some buzz coming into camp about some of the new transfers, and it just seems like they've hit three for three on these guys. Uh, those guys being Taki Taimani from Washington and the two Nebraska guys, Casey Rogers and Jordan Riley. Um, I don't know if the story. Is up yet, but I know Jared's got a, is going to have a really nice full feature on Casey and his backgrounds, and I, I'm not going to spoil any of it because I want you to read the story on DuckTerritory.com. But really fun to chat with him and, and to hear his story, really unique story, background from an athletic perspective. But from what we've heard, um, both from what Dana said and then we've heard from a couple people, you know, watching practice behind the scenes, like Rogers is is a guy, and that was the thing I heard coming in to you know this summer before he'd even enrolled. Is like if he can stay healthy, like he's going to be someone to be really kind of, you have to watch out for, um, you know, I was, I was told starter possibly like if he's, if he's, if he's working and he's, and he's not limited by injuries, like don't be surprised if he's one of the four guys who plays a lot. And when, again, I, I don't know how much you want to make out of these, these drills we're watching, but for two consecutive days, they have done offensive line against defensive line and Rogers and Riley have both been, have both been with that first group going against the offensive line. Don't know, I don't think you want to read too much into it yesterday, uh, in part because Dorless wasn't with that group yesterday, which probably tells you it's probably a little off because I think everybody understands it. But yesterday it was it was those two on the um, well, 
you had Keon Moore Hudson at one end and you had those two on the inside. And then you had Trevin Mai at one, at one defensive end the day before Rogers was playing a defensive end position. You had Riley and you had uh, Taki in the middle and then you had Dorless at one end. So, but th the point I'm trying to make is like, there's a ton of guys, man. I'm, I'm yep. pretty excited about this. And you think about what planning has had at other schools, um, and kind of how they've operated and, and where the strengths of his defenses have been. I, I think Oregon is in a really good spot in its front seven, like a really good spot. They have great linebackers. We know they've got two potential superstars there. And then they've got Bassa, who we all think is like, shoot, if he's not starting, they're going to have to find a way to get him on the field. He's really talented. I think LaDuke is a really good player. And then they've got like, I don't know, eight or nine, 10 defensive linemen that I think can be contributors. And it, it does make me think back to when, um, Jordan Riley committed. Do you remember that podcast? We we're all kind of like, why are they doing this? Like, they thought they have enough big bodies. Like, they have, this is the defensive line's a strength. They only have a finite number of scholarships. Like, shouldn't they be focusing these on receivers or running backs or, or whatever? I can't remember which were the, I think those were the kind of in, in vogue positions <laughs> yeah. of need at the time. You get it now. You kind of see it now because I think these guys are both going to be difference makers. And in Riley in particular, I, I, I've heard like, he's a huge, humongous person by the way jared and we've watched yeah. him come he's, through it's like he's a large guy he stands out walking through practice and i get the sense that i don't know if he starts i don't know what this is going to look like in the middle because they've got so many dudes but he is going to be a factor as well um and that was something that we weren't we were kind of like what is he going to play five to ten downs per game no i think he's going to be a pretty big contributor this year I think both of those Nebraska transfers guy and Rogers and Riley, um, I think they're going to be big time guys. I think they're going to play a lot. I think they're going to play a lot more than we anticipated. I think they're going to play a lot more than, uh, than a lot of fans anticipated as well. Um, great to talk to Casey Rogers yesterday. I'll have that story up later. Um, very excited about Oregon's defensive line. Um, Matt, to touch on Kamari Terrell, um, like both of you guys said, I think it's really interesting that Dan kind of went out of his way to talk about him. Um, has all the physical tools that you would you would really want. Uh, Matt, I think he would be just an excellent special teams guy, just like you mentioned, um, with his ability to get down the field, being a cornerback, his change of direction. Um, I think that's exactly what Oregon needs. They haven't had a gunner in a, in a long time since, like, Hockey Woods. Um, they've been missing somebody like that. And if, if he becomes that, if that's – what he does in this freshman season, that's going to be great because he's going to beat a lot of people down the field. Um, uh, uh, for, I guess for one of my few takeaways so far has a lot of, is a lot of special teams stuff. So uh, this isn't our special teams podcast, our preview. We've done that before, but um, there's, there's limited amounts to see. Uh, I think if, if you've been listening closely in this podcast, you've been recognizing that we, fill out all of our, our our sentences with a little caveat about how we haven't seen X or Z or no pads or something like that. So our special teams is is about the most we see. And uh, this most recent practice, yesterday's practice, um, there's been some change in the kicking and punting. I think this is probably one of the more interesting things that we can talk about. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Andrew Boyle for the first couple practice practices, the first three that we were able to watch was primarily a punter. And the last two practices, excuse me, the first two we were able to watch, he was a punter. The last two, 
he's been rotating in between kicking and punting. Mm. Now, Andrew Boyle is a transfer from Washington State who only has like two punts to his name as as a Cougar, um, but he was primarily a kickoff guy. Um, a quick side note: Oregon brought in four kickers with the with the same initials. So Drives me nuts, man. I'm so confused. It's Alex Bales, Andrew Boyle. I have to cheat. Adam Barry. I think it's just three. I think it's, it's just three. three. Excuse me. Yeah. So they're all the same initials and they all play the same position and they're 91, 92, and 98 on the roster. Um, <laughs> just got to just gotta get that out of there because that annoys the heck out of me. So Andrew Boyle has been transferring back and forth between punter and kicker. Um, Alex Bales has been the second string kicker behind Camden Lewis, although Eric and I have talked about this and we talked about it on the pod where we think that he's going to be the kickoff specialist and Camden Lewis will be the field goal specialist, if that's a thing, which it appears like that's going to happen. Um, As for punting in general, Adam Barry, the Temple transfer, um, he's the guy who's getting the first team reps in terms of who's punting to the punt returners, which I can get into later if people, if we want to discuss who's returning punts, but you know, um, so Adam Bear is the, the first team guy and Ross James, who uh, was another transfer punter, is the second team guy. Um, and so with Boyle going back and forth, I think that's kind of interesting to see where he fits because he was the first um, first transfer. He was a power five guy. They got him pretty early into Dan Lanning's tenure at Oregon. Um, he seemed like the obvious guy to make a run at either a punter or kicking position. I know that at the time Tom Snee was still with the program. And now that he's no longer with the program, there's open season when it comes to who's going to be the punter. Um, But he was the first punter to go in the first practice of of fall camp um, and is now rotating in between. So I don't know if that means anything, in terms of what's gonna what's it gonna look like when Oregon has to punt against Georgia or Oregon needs to kick the ball off um, or kick a field goal, but I think it is somewhat significant that they are, you know, testing these other options, seeing what can actually work, and really giving it what we what what it looks like on the surface level to us is an actual competition, where quote unquote competitions haven't been such a thing in the past where yes it's a competition but you know i think everybody who watches who watch the team normally enough would understand that this is probably not a competition and that x this person is going to be winning it regardless of how the other person performs so i think they're doing their due diligence and i think it's it's extremely important because special teams can win or lose you football games in every league but especially college football and I think we've seen that the last couple of years with Oregon. Certainly a lot to digest um, through fall camp. We'll probably do another one of these bigger picture ones or just things we've learned, things we've found that's interesting. Um, maybe in a couple more days, maybe after we hit seven total practices or 10 total practices of fall camp, because there's a lot to digest here. And I, I think as Jared just went through his special teams, um, look, that's the one area we get to watch a lot of um, during during practice. And I mentioned this <laughs> when spring ball started, and I'll say it again, just the attention to detail that they give to special teams is, I, 
eye-opening and kind of it's staggering when you compare it to what we saw, what we were allowed to see under the previous staff and the struggles that that staff had with special teams. I'm not going to say this one's going to be unbelievable and they're going to be perfect, but I just get a feel just what we hear, what we see, it should be better. Um, so we'll dive into more things that we look at um, at practice through interviews. That's going to be the big thing for us where we're going to glean information is through interviews this year. And you know, I, I highly encourage you guys all to go to duckterritory.com, read the stories, read the, the everything's that blank said, Jared gets those up with quarterbacks, coordinators, coaches, uh, re- watch the videos. And most importantly, listen, keep listening to this podcast. And until the next one, You've been listening to the Ots and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.